welcome to the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast with co-founders and hosts, Tracy Callahan and Deborah Doak. Each week, we tackle another tough topic to help professional divorce coaches maximize client impact and cultivate thriving practices. We also want to spread the word about the expertise and value that certified divorce coaches bring to the table. At DCA, we are committed to ongoing learning and we value generosity among divorce coaching professionals. We believe that when one succeeds, we all succeed. Welcome back to the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast. I'm Deborah. I'm here with Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Hey. Hey. You know what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, something fun. Something fun. Yeah. Setting effective boundaries with a narcissist or other high conflict person. Mm. Yeah. So in preparation, I actually did a quick Google search for just divorcing a narcissist. And I got almost 600,000 just instant results. Yeah. I saw articles and videos from therapists, from attorneys, media outlets, coaches, support groups, social media, and of course, about a zillion Reddit threads. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It is a hot topic for sure. For sure. And as I, Browsed a few of the search results. It seemed like they mostly fell into one of two camps. They were either people trying to help and offer some constructive advice, or they were full of stories of hopelessness, helplessness, or just complaining. Yeah. Right. So, no doubt we have all seen some pretty shady characters pull some pretty shady tricks in divorce and co-parenting. And unfortunately, there are people in this world that get off on hurting others. The more you hurt, the happier they are. Mm -hmm. And it's sad to think that people like this exist, but wishing and hoping they were different doesn't solve that problem. There is still (laughs) a settlement agreement to negotiate or years of co-parenting ahead. So today, what we thought we wanted to talk about was helping clients take control wherever possible to protect their own safety and their own peace. Peace. And and that means we're going to be talking about boundaries, making decisions and taking actions that shield them from harm and keep them moving toward their goals. The B word, boundaries. Yeah, their goals. And we love to talk about boundaries, right? The key for clients in high conflict situations is good, effective boundaries. Brene Brown, we all love Brene Brown, says that daring to set boundaries is about having the courage to love ourselves even when we risk disappointing others. Or angry. Yeah. She also tells us that compassionate people ask for what they need. They say no when they need to. And when they say yes, they mean it. They're compassionate because their boundaries keep them out of resentment. Mm. But before we dive into strategies for setting those boundaries, let's set some expectations by exploring what we mean by safely, safety and peace, right? I say safely, but yes, the word <laughs> safety is defined as 
the state of being safe, freedom from the occurrence or risk of injury, danger, or loss, or two, the quality of averting or not causing injury, danger, or loss. So as we discuss safety with clients, we are actually talking about safety planning, right? What steps they can take to prepare to protect themselves. And of course, conflict management. What steps they can take to keep conflict from escalating. So when we discuss safety and divorce, we do not mean that we can eliminate all risk and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Well, uncertainty feels so scary. It is an inherent part of the process, given that our clients do not have control over their partner, the legal system, or professionals involved. So we can think of safety more like planning for a series of potential if-then outcomes, right? Yeah. Now, peace. Peace. Mm, How do we define peace, right? To end hostilities and abstain from further fighting or antagonism. And two, freedom from disturbance. Oh, tranquility, right? So notice that peace can mean either an end to hostilities or freedom from disturbance. Freedom, right? Good decision-making and strong boundaries help clients spend far less time and emotional energy being disturbed by the bad behavior of others. Again, our clients do not have control as to whether their spouse or co-parent will behave in a hostile manner, but they do have a choice as how they respond. In both of these definitions, there is some degree of power available to our client that is not dependent on what anyone else is or isn't doing. It is totally up to them. And that is the foundation of good boundary work. Yes, good boundary work. But let's also make sure we're all on the same page when it comes to what differentiates an ineffective or what we might call permeable boundary from a strong, effective one. Because uh, what we hear a lot of people say they're violating my boundaries. And so I think we have a little bit of misunderstanding out there. We've historically been taught that setting a boundary is telling someone what you will and won't tolerate. Mm-hmm. The problem with this is that what that really is, is a request for agreement. When you say to someone, I don't want you to do this, or I do want you to do that, you are relying on their compliance. They are in charge of whether or not you're protected from whatever behavior is bothering you, right? You, you're, yeah. You've you're transferred your power over to them. 100%. 100%. So truly effective boundaries are not an ask. They are an action. They don't require the other party to agree. We decide what's within our own sphere of control and we act to protect ourselves. So let's let's do a little play acting. You want to? Yes, I love I love a little little drama. A little drama. Yeah. So <laughs> Tracy's gonna Tracy's gonna be my partner here and we're gonna have a little kerfuffle. <laughs> and uh, 
<laughs> Great words. See if, see if we can uh, we can kind of demonstrate the difference between an ineffective and an effective boundary. Okay. Yeah. So let's do this. Let's do this. All right. Hey, Trace, are you almost ready? It's five forty-five, and we need to get ready to leave for the party. We got to leave by six. What party? We mean what party? It's Alex's surprise party. We're supposed to get there by six thirty. I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. You never told me about any party tonight. I most certainly did. We've talked about it several times. The invitation is right there on the fridge and it's on our fucking family calendar. You have never mentioned this party until right now. I think you have dementia. Seriously, you pull this crap all the time. Oh, geez. Look, don't try to blame me because you forgot. It's fine. Just go get ready and we can still make it. Okay. I can't forget something I never knew about. Jesus, you are so scatterbrained and disorganized. It's like living with a drunk little toddler. Please, come on. Stop calling me names and making digs about my character. I've told you before that's so disrespectful and unproductive. I don't care for that. Stop it. Stop calling me names. I'm just a baby. You're hurting my feelings. Wah. Start acting like a grown-up and I'll treat you like one. Come on, come on. There is no need to be that mean. Just stop doing that. Go get ready for the party. Admit that you're a baby toddler brain screwed up and you're springing on this on me at the last minute. Look, Tracy, why can't you just be civil? Alex is my best friend. I want to get to the party on time. I really need you to stop mocking me and calling me a toddler. Just go change your clothes and let's go. And and do you need me to change your diaper too? Oh, okay. Look, at this point, <laughs> that was good. That was good. At this point, I could continue to ask my partner to refrain from this behavior. This would be making a request for agreement, which I've already done a couple times without success. Or I could set a boundary. So let's rewind a little bit and see if we could have a different outcome. All right. Back into character, Tracy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Come on, please stop calling me names and making digs about my character. I've told you before that that's so disrespectful and it's just unproductive conversation. Stop calling me names. I'm just a baby. You're hurting my feelings. Wah. Start acting like a grown up, and I'll treat you like one. Okay. All right. I'll tell you what. I'm going to go ahead and head out to Alex's. I should be home by 11. Now, I'm just going to grab my coat and my purse, and I'm going to leave without further discussion. Okay? So a boundary is an action. In this case, I chose to disengage from the harmful conversation and just go to the party alone. And my decision-making was based on my values and my priorities. My number one priority was protecting myself from name-calling and being made fun of. And I put a lot of value on enjoying myself at my friend's party. I protected my peace by not investing any more in that unproductive conversation. And I was able to show up for my friend without having depleted all my emotional energy, begging for my partner to treat me in a way that clearly they weren't going to agree to. Yes. (laughs) Whether they are dealing with a good person behaving badly. 
or with somebody with a full-blown personality disorder. Helping clients identify where boundaries are needed and work to set effective ones can do a lot to bring down their frustration and stress levels, right? Safety, peace. As you're working with your client, listen for the following clues that they may need some support with some boundary setting, okay? They have problems saying no, right? They have trouble. It's, it's hard for them to do. They apologize for things that are not their fault. They stoop to someone else's level. They may complain about the other person a lot. They may, in fact, lose their temper or blame other people for making them feel or act a certain way. They feel powerless. They feel resentful. And they jade. Okay? Justify, argue, defend, or explain. When clients fail to set boundaries, it's typically for one for one of two reasons. So first, let's talk about fear. If a client recounted the example conversation above that Deborah and I just did, I might reflect back. Sounds like you feel really disrespected during that exchange. And despite repeated requests, your partner continued that behavior. Looking back now, what do you think kept you from taking steps to end the conversation? Okay, It is not uncommon to hear clients defend their failure to set boundaries or take action by saying, I'm afraid to do X because he or she will do Y. You know what we always say about fears? What do we say? (laughs) They are either questions waiting to be answered or a plan that needs to be created. So when I hear a client say something like that, I typically probe them to go a little deeper by asking, and what would happen if they did why? This could be anything from threatening to take the kids to giving them the silent treatment for a few days to screaming and yelling or withholding money. Keep asking some version of, and then what? Until you get to the root. Now you've identified whether they need information or an action plan, right? This is us and our curiosity, helping the client engage in awareness of their own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Okay. So threatening to take the kids. Okay. Well, who can help them determine possible outcomes or their legal rights? Silent treatment. What could they plan to keep themselves regulated in that process? Withholding money. What would they need to have in place to be prepared for that? Right? Yeah. All those fears. Great generating options, exploring, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Who could help? Where can I get that information? What kind of plan do I need? So I'm not afraid. Yeah. Yeah. So we said people typically fail to set boundaries for one of two reasons. One is fear. And so then we ask those questions. Well, what would happen if they did? Why? Mm -hmm. What then? What then? The next obstacle is when a client is either unclear about their values or is having trouble mm, like prioritizing. So at its core, really, boundary setting is about values-based decision-making. Yeah. 
right? So in that little role play that Tracy and I did, I was valuing wanting to feel respected by my partner. And I was valuing that over valuing myself. Yeah. So every time I made a request for agreement, please stop. I lowered the price Tracy had to pay to stay in conversation with me. And I compromised my ability to get to the party on time. Yeah. When parents disparage each other in front of their children, they're valuing their own feelings of hurt or anger over their children's need for safety and stability, right? Helping clients identify and prioritize their personal values can support them in understanding how these porous or permeable boundaries actually cause them to operate outside of their own values. This helps them make decisions to take actions that align with their best and highest self. And this typically, their best and highest self typically doesn't want to be treated poorly or purposefully increase their own stress levels. Yeah. <laughs> That's not something our best and highest self typically chooses, right? So some pretty common values conflicts we see in divorce and co-parenting are being right versus being at peace, doing what's best for my kids versus proving my spouse is a bad person, mm-hmm. having personal power versus being liked. Justice versus freedom, financial independence versus entitlement, winning versus resolution. Mm. So doing this values exploration, where where are your clients' values either in the wrong order or they're competing with each other and helping them get clarity over that? Okay. So once we've been through this three-step process, one, where is the boundary missing? Two, What is the fear and what do they need? Three, which value is most important? Then we move on to the killer question. Yeah. (laughs) I love this one. Do you want to read it together? Yeah. Okay. What are you able able and willing willing to do? To do. Yes. And willing to do. Able and willing to do. Yeah. So by asking this question, we are exploring both locus of control, right? What is within their control and and personal choice, that willingness to act. Willingness. Willingness. If boundary setting is new for your client or they tend to have an avoidant or accommodating conflict style, Expect to get some pushback about why they aren't able to do anything differently. But what we have to remind them is, is that if nothing changes, nothing changes. (laughs) (laughs) Mind blown. Nothing changes. I know. Boom. Right. We can think of boundary work as similar to the process of negotiation and that we are asking our client to give up something they want for something they want more. It is the true definition. This is values-based decision-making, right? So remember that boundaries are an action, not an ask. So when our clients are struggling with the behavior of others, our job 
is to help them determine what options they have that they do not rely on their spouse or co-parents agreement or compliance for. That, in essence, is where their power, peace, and safety lie. Yeah. So I'm going to go back and summarize one more time, and then I'll let you close this out. (laughs) Okay. Okay. These four questions. This is the crux of everything we talked about. Number one, where is a boundary missing? So you're listening for resentment, exhaustion, stress, all those things, right? Two, what is the fear and what do they need? Do they need information or a plan? Three, which value is more important? Are they in the wrong order? Are they competing? We need to figure out which is the most important thing to them. And then what are you able, what's within your control, and what are you willing to do to make it different? Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to thank you so much for joining us today at Divorce Coaches Academy to talk about this, right? Narcissism, conflict high conflict personalities. These are things we hear continuously and consistently through our clients. As demonstrated, Devin, you're amazing Google search, right? We love Google. (laughs) Okay. So, but we can, we can support our clients and it is not easy in taking those four steps. So we want to thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to you joining us once again for something that's going to support you and your thinking process and your work as a professional certified alternative dispute resolution specialist in divorce coaching. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us for the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. It helps other divorce professionals find us and add to the conversation. And don't forget to follow us on social media to be the first to know when we add new classes and events. We'll be back next week with another topic to help you maximize client impact, create a thriving business, and promote the value of professional divorce coaching.